you're being seated, give someone a high five or a hug. Say, get ready, get ready, get ready. Come on. Well, about 10 years ago, when I was in college, I went on a backpacking trip, and it was an HPE class at our school. We had to choose a specific elective at ORU. So I chose the elective of backpacking, and our teacher took us on a three-day backpacking trip. He said, you know, I'm going to take you guys to a place in Arkansas called Devil's Den. Now, I called it Angel's Den because I grew up as a faith boy, and uh, my dad wouldn't let me just say devil all the time. We had to call deviled eggs angel eggs. (laughs) Don't hate, appreciate, celebrate. Uh, But anyway, so we went to Angel's Den, and uh, we were backpacking there. We got there, and we started hiking through the woods, through the uh, Ozark Mountains, and we were about two hours into our hike. We had gone three miles. There was 12 people with us, so we were taking our time, just making sure everyone was getting through the the trail right, and our teacher turns around after hiking two, two hours, and he goes, guys, we're lost, and we're like, what? And he's like, don't blame this on me, and we're like, you're the instructor. Who else's fault is it? He's like, all right, okay. The truth is, it's not that we got diverted or you know, uh, it took a wrong path down this trail. It's that we started the wrong trailhead from the beginning. He said, when we pulled into the parking lot, there were two trailheads, and I accidentally took us down the wrong trailhead. So we had to backtrack two hours and go down the right trailhead because he wanted to take us to a really cool spot on the other trail. Here's the point of the story. It matters how you start. Your starting point determines the direction and the path you end up on that leads you to your destination. And so starting points are important. Today, the title of the message is Wisdom's Starting Point. Wisdom's Starting Point. Where do we start if we want to get wiser? Where do we begin if we want to grow in insight, understanding, become smarter, learn how to be successful, have less regrets, live longer, have better marriages, better relationships? Where do we begin when we desire to grow wiser? Well, this is what the wisest man in the world says, Proverbs 9, 10. He says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Wisdom's starting point is the fear of the Lord. Now, don't let the fear of the Lord scare you. Right when you hear that phrase, some of you already have a negative thought popping up in your mind. Because this is what the devil wants us to do. The devil wants us to get kind of pulled off on this path to say, I don't want to hear about the fear of the Lord. I don't want to hear about that stuff because God's a good God. He loves me. I don't need to be scared of him. And the truth is, yes, God is a good God. He does love you. You don't need to be scared of him, but you've misunderstood what the fear of the Lord is. It's not being scared of God to the point where you want to hide and cover sin in your life. That's what Adam and Eve did. That's a different kind of fear. The fear of the Lord we're talking about today is the kind of fear of the Lord that's reverential honor, awe, and amazement of who God is. We're going to talk about what it means, but I want you to know this. In the book of Proverbs, fear of the Lord is mentioned more than 15 times. When I was preparing this series and just praying over it months before this this month, I remember God speaking to me, Paul, if you're going to do a series on wisdom, you better not leave out the most important part in the book of Proverbs. It's the fear of the Lord. You cannot have wisdom if you don't have the fear of the Lord. It's the starting point for wisdom. If you don't get the fear of the Lord, you're on the wrong trailhead. You've gone down a trail of man's wisdom, political wisdom, but you've, you've left the trail that leads to life. Here's the thing. Here's what wisdom promises us. Wisdom promises better health, better relationships, 
a good reputation, that's something money can't buy, riches, honor, better sleep, come on somebody, you need better sleep. Wisdom promises that you, will, uh, that you won't end up in the traps of foolishness. And there's a contrast in Proverbs between the pathway of wisdom and the pathway of foolishness. He said, if you want to start, whether you're a mom, a father, a son, a daughter, to a teenager, toddler, college student, grandma, grandpa, the starting point is the same place for everybody. It's the fear of the Lord. You don't have to start some other place. Just because you might be older or younger, the starting point is the same for all generations at every season of life. If you want wisdom, start with the fear of the Lord. So let's go real quickly to a few uh, scriptures in Proverbs that mention the fear of the Lord. First one is Proverbs 1.7. It says this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. We're going to go quick through these. Because they hated knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So if you want to know about God, you've got to start with the fear of the Lord. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So already we're understanding the fear of the Lord leads us down a path away from evil. Okay, keep, keep tracking with me. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Okay, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We read that scripture to begin with. That's our starting point. Next, next proverb. Okay, the fear of the Lord prolongs your life. How many of you want to live longer? You don't want to die young or die before it's your time. Well, here's the key, fearing the Lord. Because if we don't, it says the wicked, their years will be shortened. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. There's something about a person who walks in boldness. Not arrogance, not a cocky spirit, not a haughty attitude, but a confidence that comes from fearing God. Did you know that when you fear the Lord, you walk in greater confidence than people who don't? People who don't fear the Lord, they are afraid about calamity. They're afraid about, about what other people think. Oh my goodness, what are they gonna say? What are they gonna think about me? Are they talking about me? I heard somebody whispering about me. There's a fear of man out there when there's a lacking of fear in God. And so he says, fear the Lord. You'll have stronger confidence and your children will have a safe refuge. That's a good promise right there, okay? The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn you away from the snares of death. Up here with me, I've got a mousetrap. Well, I had a mousetrap. I still do. On this mousetrap is some cheese. The mice come to, how many of you guys have set a mousetrap in your house, your apartment? Okay, so the mice go, they smell the cheese, they find the cheese. I like to put some real cheese on there. Anybody else? I know it's kind of weird, it gets crusty over time, but I like to put some real cheese on there so the mice smell the cheese. I wanna get that mouse. And it chews on the cheese. This is what sin does. Sin smells good, looks good, but it's a snare, it's a trap. And it says the fear of the Lord will show you, it will foolproof your life. It will trap-proof your life. You'll be able to see the trap behind the cheese. That's good right there, that's a tweet. Come on, somebody. Fear of the Lord gives you the trap before the cheese. I don't know how I said it. Let's keep going here. All right. The, uh, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. In other words, it's better to maybe not be the wealthiest person in man's eyes, but still honor God with honesty and integrity than to have tons of money, but to live in a moral, lucrative lifestyle, knowing that your eternity is in question. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Humility and the fear of the Lord are the power twins. You can't have one without the other. If you want to walk in the fear of the Lord, you have to come to a place of humility. 
In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity, and by the fear of the Lord, someone departs from evil. The fear of the Lord, it helps you to leave a path that's headed towards destruction. The fear of the Lord leads you to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. You want to be satisfied? You want extreme fulfillment in this life? You can't find it in sex, drugs, and alcohol. You can't find it in money and more money. You can only find it in God. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. I don't know about you, but I want, I want to be wealthy. I, I don't want to be poor. God's plan for his believers aren't for you to be poor. Yes, poor in spirit, but God wants you to be blessed. He doesn't lead you down a path to set you up for poverty. He leads you down a path of blessing, but you have to choose the wisdom of God. You have to choose the fear of the Lord and honor. He wants you to have a good reputation. He wants, he wants you to have the riches of his kingdom, which is peace, joy, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, but he also wants you to be wealthy, to be a blessing. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. God wants us to desire to fear the Lord. Why? Because when we desire to fear the Lord, he knows it's gonna put us on the right path. When I first heard this message of the fear of the Lord, I remember I was at Word Explosion, our church conference, John Bevere was coming to speak here, a great speaker, and uh, he's coming back this year, by the way. But when I first heard him speak, he spoke from his book, A Message on the Fear of the Lord, just scriptures we were going over right there. When I first heard it, I misunderstood it. I was like, oh, no, I don't want that. I, I'm, I, I feel like that makes God mad at me, that he wants to hurt me if I mess up, that I'm supposed to be afraid of him. I, I, want, I want to love God, and I misunderstood the sermon. And I remember coming to John, I said, John Bevere, why so severe up in here? Come on, somebody. <laughs> and he said, Paul, you misunderstood the message. He said, the fear of the Lord gives you a clearer picture of how much God loves you. It doesn't take away from the love of God, it only enhances the love of God in your life. He said, it's not about being afraid of God. It's about seeing God for who God is, that you need him and you can't live without him. And that in his presence, that he's with you privately and publicly. And he cares about your private life probably more than your public life. Because he's interested in your character, not your comfort. And so he says, he, he, he just told me, he just kind of helped me to understand this. And so I began to study it. And over time, I, I loved it. Because I realized we need the fear of the Lord just as much as we need the love of God and the grace of God. I love grace. I love God's love. I'm all about God's love and God's grace but we also need the fear of the Lord. There's two ditches on life's path, on following Jesus, on the wisdom path. There's a ditch called legalism, and the love of God set us free from legalism. Thank you, Jesus. Legalism is this ditch, it gets so extreme, it says you can't laugh in church, you can't come into church with your jeans, you can't enjoy God, that's legalism. Someone went way too far, the love of God set us free from that. But what happens is sometimes people get so far from that, I don't want to have anything to do with that, that they fall into this other ditch called lawlessness. This is a ditch where it says it doesn't matter what I do, his grace covers it, I can sin, God's okay with it, and that's false. The Bible is so clear that God does not like sin. It doesn't say that God hates sinners, it says that God despises sin. And so when we fall into a ditch of lawlessness, We've ran so far away from legalism that we're just doing whatever we want to please ourselves. That's a pathway towards destruction. And so God wants us to come back to a, a balanced understanding 
of the full counsel of the word of God. He doesn't want you to just read half of it or just the parts that you like. He wants you to have all of it because in the full counsel of the word of God, there is wisdom on how to live your life. You can't have one or the other. You've gotta be in a balanced place. That's where the fear of the Lord keeps us. You know, today in our culture, in our society, there is a hunger and a quest for happiness. Just feed me what makes me happy. Oh, don't feed me anything that convicts me. I don't like that. I'm out of here. I don't want to listen to that. But did you know that you can't be happy unless you have the wisdom and the fear of the Lord? You might be happy for a moment doing what you want to do, but down the road, you're going to have regrets. You're going to say, I wish I would have listened to the message that convicted me instead of only listening to messages that made me happy. God wants you to have both. He wants you, yes, to get the messages that encourage your life, but he also wants to give you the messages that redirect the course to make sure you're staying in a balanced place to hear God, to follow God, to fear the Lord, to have the grace of God, the love of God, and let it be evident in your life. One time I was leaving our church, and we had just had an awesome church service, and I remember just getting in my car and I began just thanking God. God, thank you. Thank you for a great service. Thank you for the time at the altar. Lord, you're so good. I love you. And as I began to just acknowledge God, this is what the fear of the Lord does. It builds an intimate relationship with God. As I began to acknowledge him, all of a sudden, just the presence of God, just it overwhelmed me in my car. I had to pull over into the maybe center parking lot and just pull into park. I started weeping, just going, God, Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, your presence is so amazing. See, the fear of the Lord is not being scared of God. It's wanting more than anything to have intimacy and fellowship with God. So let's talk about what does the fear of the Lord mean? In Exodus 20, 20, Moses brought the Israelites to the place where he had encountered God at Sinai. And he said, do not fear, for God has come to test you that his fear may be before you. Hold up, wait. You just said, do not fear. God's looking to see if you have the fear of the Lord in you so that you will not sin. Well, Moses just mentioned fear twice. It sounds a little bit, you know, like he's going back and forth here. It's because there's clearly two types of fear. There's a fear of being scared that God doesn't love me, that God's gonna hurt me if I mess up. Then there's a fear of reverence, of honor, to say, God, you love me so much, I don't want to love what you hate. I don't want to dishonor you with the love that you've lavished on me. And so he says, let's come back to that place of the fear of the Lord. What does that look like? All right, I'm going to give you a definition from God's word and from uh, just some study on the fear of the Lord. Here's what the fear of the Lord looks like. It, it's to honor, respect, esteem, value, reverence, and stand in awe of God more than anything else. To reverence, to value, to honor, to respect, to stand in awe of God more than anything else. It's to firmly embrace God's heart. To embrace God's heart. To love what he loves. To hate what he hates. To cherish and love the privilege of God's presence and God's word. You know, right now in, in, in the world, in Nigeria, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in nations, there are many people that if they get caught with a Bible, they're going to get killed. If they're caught worshiping Jesus, they're going to die. And yet it doesn't stop them from continuing to 
get into the presence of God, to read their word. But here in America, we take for granted our Bibles. We take for granted the fact that we get to meet regularly every week to worship our God publicly. The fear of the Lord gives you a desire. Let's keep that slide up there. A desire and a love and a, just being able to have the presence of God. The fear of the Lord is to worship God alone with passionate praise. It's to make his main thing our main thing. We're oftentimes guilty of making minor things the major things and major things the minor things. Guys, the major thing is Jesus. Right? It's not style, it's Jesus. So whether it's you know this style or that style or this thing or that thing, keep the main thing the main thing. His main thing is Jesus. The fear of the Lord is clean. You know, there's something about the fear of the Lord, you just feel clean around it. There's no dirtiness, there's no hidden agenda, there's no uh, junk that's connected to it. The fear of the Lord is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit and it is Jesus's delight. When we get the fear of the Lord, when we understand what it looks like to reverence God, to honor God, we're gonna be able to walk in greater confidence. We're gonna be able to make better choices. We cannot have wisdom without the fear of the Lord. You've gotta start in the right trailhead. This is the thing that's gonna lead you down the right path. Wanting to honor God. There's a story about a man named Jim Baker in the mid 80s who was a televangelist and he went to jail. It was a very difficult, public, embarrassing thing he walked through. He's been restored now, but during that time, he went to jail, it was all over the news, and he wrote a letter to John Bevere, the, the speaker I was telling you about. He said, I, I'd like to talk with you. I've been reading and hearing your, your messages about the fear of the Lord. So John went to go visit him in jail and you know, said, Jim, we've been hurting for you. We've, we've been saddened by what you've walked through. What can I do for you? And Jim said, did you write this book? Is this yours or did a ghostwriter write this? He said, no, I wrote it. And he just grabbed John and began to weep and cry. And John said, Jim, what happened? How did you fall out of love with God? Jim said, that's the thing. I didn't fall out of love. I was in love with God through the fraud, through the adultery, through all of that stuff. I was in love with God, but I didn't have a fear of the Lord. And he said, John, millions of Americans, they love God, but they don't fear God. What our nation needs more than anything, what the body of Christ needs right now is a healthy understanding of the fear of the Lord. We've shifted so far away from this stuff that, that calls us into accountability, that we've gone into this misunderstanding of the grace of God. What, what's happened is when you don't have a healthy understanding of the fear of God, you get overboard and extreme and you take grace out of context saying it's a license for me to sin. It's a license for me to live however I wanna live. No, the grace of God is the empowerment to honor God. The grace of God and the fear of God, they work together. They're like partners. They're not enemies. I think sometimes people have made the grace of God an enemy against the fear of God. They're not. God doesn't create enemies in his characteristics. It's meant to complement each other. The, the true understanding of the grace of God is, man, I am forgiven. I'm the righteousness of God, not because of what I did, but because of what Jesus did. And because I'm forgiven, I want to honor and reverence God. He has lavished so much love on me. I can't help but look to him as my papa, my Abba Father. I love you. I want to honor you, God. I had a vision this past week as I was preparing this message that our nation was like a mouse headed to the mousetrap and we didn't even see it. 
that we were so hungry for a cheese that's just a setup for a trap. And I said, God, in this vision, is this, this has gotta be secular people, this is not Christians, and God said, no, this is, this is people who don't understand a healthy view of what it looks like to honor God with their life. What it looks like to walk out your salvation in fear and trembling. Paul the apostle, the same guy who wrote all about grace. By the way, Paul loved grace, but Paul also loved walking in the fear of the Lord. He said, walk out, Philippians chapter two, walk out your salvation in fear and trembling. He wasn't saying being afraid of God, he was saying walk it out with an honor and a reverence of God. It'll help you look away from the trap and realize it's just a trap. That's all it is. So how do we do it? How do we, how do we walk out the fear of the Lord? What does wisdom require of me? Let's say this together. What does wisdom require of me? Here's the answer, to walk in the fear of the Lord. And now we're gonna talk about three ways how do we walk in the fear of the Lord. Number one, by drawing near to God. James chapter four, verse eight says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Is this okay? Are you guys okay with going deep on Sunday morning? Man, I love God. As your pastor, I feel such a responsibility to point us in the right direction as a church. And that's why I'm preaching this. God said, you better not skip the most important topic of wisdom. We're doing a study on wisdom this month, but God said the most important topic of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It's, the, it's getting you in the right starting place. How do we do it? By drawing near to God. James 4, verse 8 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. When we draw near to God, we have power against the enemy. He cleanses us. He purifies us. Drawing near to God looks different maybe in each season of, of what we're all walking through. For me, right now, drawing near to God is oftentimes just finding that quiet place, you know, because my baby is running around screaming and, and then, you know, got a lot of stuff going on here at the church. I have to pull away and just get quiet before God and just spend time reading the word, whether it's reading the word on my uh, Bible app or reading it in my car or just listening to worship music, but you can draw near to God. Whatever season of life you're going through, there's a way to draw near to God. When I was a, a senior in high school, I remember just feeling a conviction. I had made life all about me. It wasn't that I was living in just deep, dark sin. It was that I was living selfish. I was so wrapped up in what I wanted that I wasn't thinking about what God wanted. And one night I came home and I felt a conviction. And I'm telling you, a conviction is so good to feel. Oh, Jesus. When you feel convicted, you are at home with God. It's, it, conviction is not saying you've walked away from God. Conviction is the mercy of God saying, I love you too much. Hebrews chapter 12 says God corrects those he loves. It's the mercy of God to give you a, a sense of conviction to say, don't go down that path. Don't do that. I know you want to, but don't, because your destiny, your purpose is way more valuable than that pleasure of a moment. And I remember God just stopping me, and I, I went in my bedroom, and I just began to pray and said, God, I need you. I began to draw near to God. When you draw near to God, this is what happens. Proverbs um, 8, verse 13 starts to happen. You start to see what God hates. Proverbs 8, 13, it says, God reveals through the fear of the Lord the things he hates, not people. Remember, God doesn't hate sinners, he hates the sin. He doesn't hate the practicers, he hates the practice. So I began to realize, man, there was pride in my life. There was selfishness. There was 
perversion in my thoughts, in my mouth. And I, man, I just begin to repent. And it's a healthy thing to repent as a believer. To just say, God, I need you. Lord, let me put it like this. Don't get mad at me yet, okay? But if you're married, me and Ashley, as, as a married couple, there's weeks or days where maybe, you know, you have an on day or an off day. You know what I'm talking about if you're married? There's like, some days it's on, you're just, it's awesome, and then other days there's a little bit of tension, right? Because there's lots of stuff going on. You're busy, and so there's certain times where I've been a jerk, to be honest, as a husband. <laughs> and, um, and if I don't apologize for the way that I've been, it doesn't break our relationship. As a believer, your relationship isn't broken when you've sinned. But your intimacy is off. Your fellowship with God is off because you've got guilt, you've got shame, you've got condemnation. You feel, you feel bad for the sin you've committed. You feel bad for whatever you've done. You've gotta come back to that place to a true repentance, not just continual cycle of being a jerk to whoever you're married to because that would be a, a bad marriage to be in. It's someone who just continues to be that way and apologizes and then goes out and does it again and 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 again, again. You know what I'm talking about. But coming back and just saying, I'm sorry. I, I'm, God's working in me. Our intimacy is, it's good. It's, the fellowship is healthy again because there was proper repentance. It wasn't saying, hey, can we get married again? Well, you don't have to do that. We're married already. But can we walk in love right now? I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings. With God, you want more than anything to protect the intimacy, the fellowship between you and him. When there's sin that's committed, drawing near to God is saying, God, I'm sorry for the way that I talk to my spouse. Lord, I'm sorry for the thoughts that I have. Lord, I repent and I receive your mercy, your forgiveness. God, I just wanna be in right fellowship, intimacy with you. Drawing near to God shows you what he hates and shows you what he loves and gives you a healthy understanding of what that looks like. Number two, when we draw near to God, we then humble ourselves before God. Miriam, I want you to come up as I get ready to close. Humbling yourself before God is one of the greatest things you can do as a believer. Proverbs 15, verse 33 says, humility precedes honor. Humility and the fear of the Lord are connected. Humility looks like this during worship. Humility looks like this at home. God, I need you. I don't know what to do but my eyes are on you. I don't know how we're gonna get through this, but God, I'm trusting in you. I'm leaning not to my own understanding. Lord, I acknowledge that you are God and I am not. I humble myself before you. Humility is a posture. Ironically, the same man who wrote Proverbs left the posture of humility that he began with. He started off, Solomon, as a man hungry for God, on his knees saying, Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, show me how to walk in the fear of the Lord. And Solomon had it. God blessed him with wisdom and wealth and all the things he needed. And then he started opting away from the wisdom of God and started going after political wisdom, conventional wisdom, man's wisdom, people's ideas around him. Started marrying tons of women. <laughs> he had 700 wives and hundreds of concubines. Trouble. And with all of that, it led his heart astray from God. See, when you drift from God, it's not an overnight thing. It's little by little. Hebrews talks about a drifting away from God. That it's just gradually. 
one decision at a time, one day at a time, living without prayer, living without caring about the word of God, one weekend at a time, and we don't need to go to church. Um, We'll go to church next year. (laughs) We don't really need to put our kids in children's church. We don't need to read the Bible to them. Little by little, 20 years down the road, you wanna backtrack, just like I did on that trail. We had to go back because we realized we went down the wrong trailhead. On that trail, we were able to go back. We lost time, some energy. In life, there's not a rewind button. You lose influence with your kids, a good reputation. You lose time. You miss out on the intimacy and the fellowship of knowing God. That's probably the most important part right there. I'm not a perfect person. I don't think there's one in here. We've all made our mistakes. But from this day forward, if you wanna walk in the fear of the Lord, don't let the fear of man stop you from humbling yourself before God. I remember one Sunday, or it was a Tuesday night, Jensen Franklin was preaching here at Word Explosion and he was a preacher coming through town. I wasn't the senior pastor, I was an assistant pastor and he got up here and he did a message and man, it just spoke to me. I knew this message was for me. I needed to repent of some things he was talking about addressing. I was thinking, well, I'm a believer, I'm born again, I don't need to go down to the altar call. But I knew in my heart there was a conviction. There were some things I need to repent of. Pride and the fear of man was holding me back. When he got ready to do the altar call, I started thinking, uh, I don't wanna go down right in front of everybody. I'm like an assistant pastor, what are people gonna think? And then I was thinking, well, maybe I'll go down after like 200 people go down to the altar call. You know what I'm talking about, you do the same thing sometimes. (laughs) You're like, I'll go down there. Once, once everything's full and the lights are darker, it all kind of slip down there. You know what God said to me in that moment? God said, Paul, do you care what they think or what I think? Because if you care what they think, you're not gonna make it in ministry. Guys, if we're gonna, if we're gonna experience the success and the love and the, the, the freedom that God has for us, we've gotta escape the fear of man and we've gotta receive a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord to say, God, I wanna honor you. I wanna care more about what you think than what anyone else thinks. And so humbling ourselves before God, getting to that place of humility. Number three, last point, live in reverence. Live in reverence of God. Live in reverence of God. So we draw near to God. We humble ourselves before God. And then we live in reverence of God. What does it mean to live in reverence of God? I wanna give you... Three scriptures real quick. Proverbs 6, verse 20 through 23 gives us this passage. My son, keep your father's command. Do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. When you are awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment of God is a lamp to your feet and the law is a light to your path. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. When you reverence God, you start looking for his commandments. Not because you're afraid that if you break them, he's gonna hurt you or he's gonna kill you right away, but because you so badly wanna honor him. You so enjoy the love of God and the fellowship and the intimacy of God that you go, Lord, I wanna reverence you, privately and publicly. God cares more about your private life than your public life. Did you know the fear of the Lord is a guard for your private life? 
The fear of the Lord is a guard against hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is easy to adapt in if you don't have a fear of the Lord. It doesn't really matter. You can live this way privately and then live this way publicly, this way with your kids, this way away from your kids. But the fear of the Lord brings a conviction. It's like, man, how can I teach this if I'm not living this? How can I say these things if I'm not backing this up? Fear of the Lord is a guard. I need the fear of the Lord as your pastor. You need the fear of the Lord. Not, not, in, you got it. A reverence, an honor of God. Solomon, even though he left that posture of humility, went down a crazy path, wrote a book called Ecclesiastes, filled with some insane things, where he says like everything is vanity, everything is vanity, 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 and all kinds of crazy stuff. But then he comes back at the end of Ecclesiastes and he says in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13, this is the sum of life, the total. This is the completion of what it's all about. Fear God and obey his commandments. He got it. Man, praise God Solomon came back to his senses. You can too today. Solomon had all the pleasures, more pleasures than probably any person ever in the history of the world. He had more women than he knew what to do with, more gold than he knew what to do with, more fame than he knew what to do with. Fame, gold, sex, none of it added up. He still was empty at the end of all of this. And he said, I figured it out. It's not about how much money I make, how much ladies I have, how famous I am. It's about fearing God and honoring his commandments. That's where satisfaction is. You wanna be able to live with yourself? Choose today to fear God, to honor God. I was in a church, this last story I'll tell, I was in a church one night with our band and we were traveling through the Midwest and we were in Texas and I was 19, I was too young to know how to be politically correct as a guest speaker. <laughs> and I looked out as we were leading worship and no one in the church was worshiping. People were standing there like this, rolling their eyes, had their arms crossed, looking at their watch, playing Snake on their phone. You guys remember the old game Snake? People were disengaged. I had made sure we picked a set list of songs that they knew. I had talked to the pastor, have you guys sung How Great Is Our God? Yes, okay, we're gonna sing that song. So it wasn't that they didn't know the song. I had made sure our band was playing the right chords. It wasn't that our band was playing off chords. There was no reverence in the room. Our society has lost reverence for God in church where people for an hour and 20 minutes, I mean, you could, be, you could be all in at a movie theater, totally paying attention. You're like, you put that phone away. I'm watching a movie right now. It's the Avengers. Come on, somebody. But then in church, in church, it's like, and it's not typing notes. I mean, some of y'all are. I don't want to judge. But... Oftentimes, for an hour and 20 minutes, we will check out during worship, just kind of like. If 10 World War II vets walked up on this stage carrying a flag, just remembering the sacrifice they did for this nation, you wouldn't sit there with your arms crossed, pulling out your phone, playing games. You would stand up and honor those vets. If you went to dinner with someone you really loved, you wouldn't sit there the whole time, not looking at them, not paying attention to what they're saying, looking at your phone the whole time. You'd lean in, you'd look at their face. Why, because you honor them, you cherish them. 
it is a grave danger. We're like a mouse headed to a mousetrap when we lose honor in the church for God's presence, for God's word. That's why I, I get us to cheer when we open up the word. I, I genuinely feel like the more that we can honor God's word, the more that God's word is gonna become real in our lives. The more that you honor God's presence, God doesn't show up in a place where he's not reverenced. God doesn't show up in a room where he's not honored. So I started telling this church in Texas, I started telling them, the pastor never had me back to speak again. <laughs> but I left him with this thought. I said, guys, God's presence is here. Don't miss it. It's not about the style. Don't make the style the main thing. The main thing is Jesus. It's not about who's singing it or what they're wearing or what the song is. It's about Jesus. Honor him. Let's make it about Jesus. And right now, I want us to stand to our feet all over this room with heads bowed, eyes closed.